Hello and welcome to another edition of Cheers PA Beer Talk. We are joined this week by another industry professional, different perspective today. We are speaking to the head of sales for Conchahawken Brewing, Matt Pushinsky. Matt, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the show. Oh man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I first fell in love with your beer when I tasted Puddler's Row. And anyone that's putting, and it's probably not the answer you get a lot, but anyone that cares about the malt enough to truly make a beautiful ESB and stand behind it, put it in cans, and then make it a year-round staple, it was love at first sip, man. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that. It's uh, definitely the favored beer of everyone that works at the brewery. It's a labor of love, though. You know, it's not our most popular style, but certainly the one that we all go back to time and again, back-to-back medals at World Beer Cup. For good reason. I mean, that beer is exceptional. And I think the thing that really stood out to me was you could tell that it was a mash build that was made with intention. I mean, you could see the art behind. It's not just, hey, we have a bunch of grain lying around, like, what do we do with it? And just kind of throw it in and see what sticks. Like, it was, it was intentionally made to be to style, but also we care about this type of beer and we should have more of this beer. Right. So we celebrated our seventh anniversary last week. And I was actually going to ask, I knew that it was in April, but I didn't know uh, what the date was. Congratulations. So our head brewer who opened the brewery has been making this beer since before he worked at Concha Hawking. It was a recipe that he has been working on at his previous job. And it's a beer that we opened with seven years ago as we are making an ESB. It is going to be a flagship beer of ours from the day we opened the doors. And it's funny, at World Beer Cup, the brewery that he used to work at took bronze, I want to say in 2018, and we took silver. So that's his recipe, winning two medals in the same competition. <laughs> yeah, but his way still tops yep. it out. I mean, I, you can't say that, but I'm happy to point that out. No, it's a wonderful beer. And honestly, it made me want to know more about the brewery. I started seeking it out. Your logo and can art has always stood out because it was clean. It was decisive, but it was also very true to the style of the brewery, which in some ways is minimalistic, but that's refreshing. And in time when a lot of the stuff hits you over the head and is so outlandish, it seems like they've always known who they were and have continued that throughout the years of their growth. Is that Fair to say? Oh, absolutely. So the town of Conchahawking is an old industrial mill town on the Schuylkill River. And there's also a trail along the Schuylkill River called the Schuylkill River Trail. Very creative. Uh, <laughs> and it runs right outside our original brewery. So the logo and the name, it's an homage to the industrial past of Conchahawking with the old school bike, but then also an homage to what Conchahawking is now with uh, just a lot of I would say 80, 85% of our customers at our Concha Hawking location come in the back door off the bike path. I have to say, too, the commitment to the taproom experience is evident. I mean, hmm. to have five locations in a very concerted patch around the main hub, it showed that that was the goal. It wasn't to just be one tap room, get out into distribution, but to really engage the community as a whole in your area and take care of your backyard and offer them that same experience, but just in different ways around the area. Is that true? Absolutely. And, you know, I don't think when we first opened our original brewery that that wasn't so set in stone yet. That wasn't the business plan. It was it was get the doors open and kind of see see what the customers are asking for and, you know, pay attention to what they allow us to do. I mean, if they're 
not stopping in the brew in the brew pubs, but all they're doing is buying our beer on a grocery store shelf, then maybe we don't expand the restaurants. But yeah, right now we have five locations, including where I am now is our, our, our newest. It's We moved all of our brewing equipment out of Conchahawken, actually, and built a brand new production brewery in King of Prussia. That was location number five. And we had, or have, I'm not sure if it's still in the works, a lease on a property at the southern tip of Maniunk to be our sixth location. We started that in towards the end of 2019. So everything is up in the air right now. Absolutely. But yes, Absolutely. up from the Schuylkill River, we want everybody to be able to bike to our locations. We want to engage with communities. Uh, so they're all family-friendly locations as well, full menus in addition to all the beer. Yeah, but I like that the vibe's a little different. It's not like you said, hey, this is what we do. So we're going to take this cookie cutter and we're going to move it here. We're going to do, and just kind of you know, franchise out what Conshohocken was. It was, hey, what speaks best to the need of this? So for like, example, in Phoenixville, it's brilliant to have a game room yeah. because that there's nothing like that around there, but it's such a vibrant downtown. There's a bunch of beer culture and interest and all the breweries surrounding by you. It allows you to stand out in a way that you can still be part of that landscape without feeling redundant, you know? So it's a really smart strategy of how you've opened those places along with where. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of breweries making good beer. So the way to differentiate ourselves is what sets us apart in your experiential memory when you leave a Conchahawken Brewing location. So if you're in Phoenixville, you're playing shuffleboard or ping pong, and, and it's just like, what's the, you know, focused on the demographic of that area and that's really young and hip and, and playful. And then you come to our location in Havertown, for example, we have a playground in an outdoor beer garden because it's full of families and, and we want parents to be able to come have a beer and not have to look for a babysitter. They can bring their kids with them. Uh, it's such a brilliant mode of expansion, you know, and it shows that it's just like with the beer intention from the first ingredient all the way to the finished product, you show intention through it. And it's led by the guest experience, which I feel like having opened that first brewery and seeing the community engage with you really is what drove that. As you said, it wasn't part of the ethos from the beginning, but it became part of it when you realized how valuable the community and that experience was in terms of getting the buy-in of the local community. And being a part of it instead of just trying to be a business that's in a community. That's great, man. I love that. Absolutely. Community is a word that has been in our mission statement since before we opened, uh, even when we were looking for investors. Community engagement is really important to us. We, we do give back nights on a weekly basis at, I think, all of our locations. So we just want to work with our customers. They're spending money at our restaurants and we're happy to give back to the communities that support us. That's awesome, man. And it's great to be a brewery that cares. I feel like with how you got started, because uh, you're not originally from Pennsylvania, correct? You moved here. I'm from uh, Pittsburgh originally. I grew up oh, in awesome. So how did you end up out West? I mean, you worked for some pretty heavy hitters before uh, getting here for uh, the sales job. So that's yeah. Be so I met my now wife at Penn State. So she's from she's from the Philly area. I'm from Pittsburgh. We dated all throughout college. And, and at the end, I said, I'm not moving back to Pittsburgh. And she said, well, I'm not moving back to Philly. So we bought one way tickets to San Francisco. I had nothing lined up. I had an uncle that said that we could sleep on his couch for a week. Uh, and we ended up staying for six years in San Francisco. And my first apartment was in the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood above a brew pub called Magnolia's. And Dude, you lived above Magnolia's? I lived above Magnolia's at Haight and Masonic. Uh, now I know how you got into there. All right. It all makes sense now. So, I mean, I was into like trying new beers in college, but there wasn't much I could afford. So I moved to the West Coast and things like Anchor Steam and Sierra and Fat Tire were 
as common as Sam Adams is out here. And, and then I lived above a brew pub that had $2 Tuesdays, and it was like $2 pints and $2 baskets of fries. Uh, yeah, I, to be able to do that draft list at $2 pints is insane. Like, what a opportunity. I guess you could call it on-the-job training or uh, you know whatever way you want to spin it. But, man, what an amazing experience that was. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I just... I discovered beer and I, the first job I found out there, I was working as a paralegal in a law firm, but I spent 90% of my time on beeradvocate.com doing research and figuring out where I was going after work and what to try next and honing my palate by writing reviews. That's um, awesome. Uh, yeah. well, so do you have a specific memory of the first beer that made you want to be a part of beer or like the one that early on that was like, holy bleep, like this, I want to be more about this. So I, I found a really cool liquor store close to my house, and it was Deschutes Abyss. And I think it was the first year that they ever released it. And, I, you know, I spent $10 on a bomber, which for a 22-year-old kid was, like, really, really expensive, but it looked good. And, and I got home, and I waited a couple of weeks to try it. And, I mean, it literally blew the roof off of my brain, and I went back to the liquor store, and they were sold out. But they hired me as a beer manager. So I quit. I took, like, a 33% pay cut. Went went from working like a nine to five job to working six nights a week in a liquor store, but I got to play around with four or five hundred SKUs. They were really focused on Belgian beers, so we we did a lot of imported beers, and and you know the more exotic the better. And back then that was hard to come by that many different beers. Absolutely. So not only did you get an an opportunity from the beginning to learn like the sales distribution side, but from a customer facing perspective. So it wasn't that you were just engaging B2B, like you really got to learn and hone your palate from the customer side and really person by person learning what's working and kind of in those conversations, do you feel like that had an impact on your path and kind of the way that you go about your job? I think about that store constantly and and the relationships I formed with the regulars that came in and what I learned from the owner about customer service. And uh, just for me, you know, I never really thought about giving credit all the way back to that, but you put it into perspective because here my motto with my sales team is that we, we are really a three tier sales team. We, we have our wholesalers that we have to focus on our retail partners and the end consumer. And I don't think that there are a lot of brewery reps that worry about that third tier about doing five to 10 samplings a week to really engage with the end consumer. And I think that's what being local is and, we were talking about our restaurants. I don't personally have anything to do with our restaurants. That's uh, that's falls under our in-house mm-hmm. team. Whereas I am the director of everything that leaves the brewery and goes out into the market. But it's easy, I think, for people to say, okay, if they want to put a face with the name of Concha Hawking Brewing, they go to the restaurants. I don't believe in that. I believe that we're going to meet our customers out in the market. We're going to make their beer taste better because they have a good memory of an interaction with a representative of the brewery, even if we're at a bar or at the ballpark or at a, at a, at Weiss doing a sampling, you know, it's really important to engage with our end consumers because they're the ones that drive business all the way back up. Absolutely. And I feel like that goes back to what you were talking about earlier from the first day and opening the brewery, it was person by person. And then your experience was meeting people and engaging them person by person and making it personable. Grassroots is local when you do it person by person. When you start to get big and you kind of lose some of that, that's when the perception of the people that knew you before can change. So why not give every new consumer the same opportunity that you gave all those people that helped you get to that point? 
by just engaging with them person by person. And yeah, it's putting in the time, but at the same point, it helps you stand out. And if you lay that groundwork early on, it just makes you more personable as a brewery and not just some brand sitting on a shelf. That's such a great way of looking at it. Right. And refreshing. Uh, Probably not as refreshing as that Pilsner you're drinking over there, but um, I have to say- It's any fresher than this, yeah. I mean, would you say three hours ago it just came off the line? No, I, I said three minutes ago. Oh. I, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean to oh, make your beer so old. The time um, stamp is 11.50. I don't, I don't know what time it is now. It's, uh, it is 12.16. You are just you showing off now with your accurate old. time stamps. Also, appreciate you doing accurate time stamps on the bottom of the can. Sometimes I have to go to like some really shady websites just to like <laughs> decode what's going on and like, hey, just go to my uh, uh, shared spreadsheet and I'll totally tell you what it is. The next thing I know, I'm just you know, my identity is gone. Freshness isn't only important for the consumer, it's important for us. So uh, I, if I had some decoder ring that I had to use every time I wanted to date check something on the shelf, uh, I, it just makes it easy for everybody to hold to hold us responsible ultimately and make sure there's fresh beer in the market. Well, thank you for that. Now, you did say that was for a particular golf course. Do you want to shout out the country club or some of the places like that you guys get to uh, have your beer? Because there's nothing better than a crispy lager on a sunny day, just teeing off. Forget about I, it. Well, right now we uh, we have uh, this is for Bala Golf Club, who's over in Philadelphia. They'll be launching this tomorrow. They'll have it in at the clubhouse tomorrow and for the weekend. Uh, we work with a lot of country clubs throughout the region. It never occurred to me because I'm not a golfer just how much beer golfers drink. Oh man! And I had an eye-opening experience last year, uh, and we we spent all of February 2020 building relationships with country clubs, which culminated in having about 50 club managers at the brewery on March 9th, looking forward to a, a huge season with them. And that was a Monday and on Friday, the world shut down. But, you know, country clubs were some of the first, you know, say draft retailers to reopen. Mm-hmm. And we maintained relationships through last year and, and just strengthened them again this spring. And people want to be outside, you know, and a lot of people are still afraid of even indoor dining. But golf is the one thing that people can just get out and do and they can drink with no mask and they can, uh, I don't know. And they put back a lot of beer. It's a conducive solution to the current situation. And you're right. People want to be outside. It's just a, a really great way to get your beer in front of a lot of different people, because a lot of times the beer at golf courses, not great. I mean, you're looking super macro and you're lucky. I mean, you might find like a Sierra Nevada pale ale and that, like, that's your best choice. At least right. around here, it's, it's pretty abysmal. So, and then, you know, to frown on people bringing in outside beer, if you don't want me to sneak in beer, Get a better capitalist, you know? It's not my fault. You did this to me. Right. You know, then that's uh, that's getting into some different logic. So, um, yeah, it's a great idea. For me, it all boils back to what we were talking about. I'll chalk that up to member engagement. It's it's the end consumer. What can we do, whether it's who who's getting the credit for it? Is it the brewery? Is it the country club? The country club needs to attract new members. They want to attract younger members. Younger members are drinking craft beer. So what perk can they offer that the other country clubs aren't? How about a craft beer with a photo of your golf course on it and your logo? The only and place to get it is here, man. So it's that like taste of destination, that like whole sensory experience. It, it's all at one spot, one time, one place. Brilliant, man. It's a really great strategy. I'm glad to see that you're having some success and I'm looking for the continued growth in uh, that project. We're not the only ones. There, there are, we're not the only ones to notice that country clubs were big players last year as, as most bars were closed. So it's good. It's it. I see a lot of local breweries engaging golf courses and and higher volume accounts who can commit to 
certain amounts of volume to order a custom brewed beer or slap their own logo or name on it. It's, I, you know, I think it's actually long-term going to strengthen relationships with breweries and, and, and the idea of local beer. Instead of it just being the one tap room experience within the community, it gives you other experiences within that same community to engage with people in different ways at the times that they're looking to drink. Because golf is, like you said, very high on the list in terms of people who drink beer. Having grown up around the game and around beer, the two go swimmingly together. So in moderation and responsibility and all that, but it's just one of those things that it's such a great way to enjoy a good beer with friends for a couple hours outdoors. In my opinion, it's one of my favorite pursuits. So it lines up with getting the beer out there. I was, I just keep running through my head. Like you were talking about tastings earlier. And before I got to the first tea box, there was someone like, Hey, you want to try a couple of beers? And I tasted one. And then two holes later, the cart comes around like, Hey, you guys need anything? Yes. Uh, what was that beer that I just had? And like, I, I mean, I would then be hooked on it because I've now experienced a new beer that I didn't even know about, but that's local and from my community that I got to taste that I wasn't expecting, but I was looking to have a taste. And it just, it seems like a really great way to engage in people that just aren't going to necessarily find your beer. So do you miss beer festivals? Like personally, in terms of you talk about engagement, is that a bridge too far? And <laughs> is that been one of the positives of the last year? I like to spend my weekends with my kids. Instead of a bunch of grown kids running around. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, of, of the two or 300 people that you talk to at a beer festival, there might be two or three who are taking notes and actually care to remember what they tasted. I've never understood the, the interest in terms of you know, breweries that commit to the beer festivals. This is the best way to get in front of people. And I'm like, how? They've tasted 50, 60 things. They don't remember the majority of them. It's so hard to stand out in that environment. Why not go do an hour or two hours at a grocery store and talk to 50 people? But like every one of those people is going to remember you in the face because they're there to learn something or to buy something to engage in a product versus like what the agenda is at a festival. Yes, but there's also the prisoner's dilemma of how you can't be the only one that doesn't mm-hmm. do it because we that, all have to... that gets noticed more than your your non-participation gets more noticed more than your participation does. It's sad but true. And and originally back in the day there were table fees and the beer was donated when i first got into the industry there would be a couple beer festivals a year and breweries would fight over who got to go Mm -hmm. but now they're they're buying the beer and so it's an it's an opportunity to interact with a couple hundred people to move a couple more half barrels to have fun i mean but don't you think that that's an acknowledgement of what a terrible solution that they're offering it's like all right we're gonna have to start buying this beer we're gonna like we're not gonna be able to get these breweries here anymore so in a way, it's enforcing the like, the experience of the whole thing and what it is and the camaraderie from a beer festival, at least from a vendor's perspective. I used to look forward to them because I got to see some people and talk to them that I hadn't seen in since last year. Right. So it's like from like those are the, the, the slim parts that I miss and the few people like you were talking about that are interested in you know taking notes and asking thoughtful questions and not just like give me one of everything kind of thing and just yeah. moving their way through each line. It was it was a hard thing to, to grapple with, but I think that for me personally, I kind of fall in your camp where I'd rather spend the time with my family and I'd rather my time mean more from you know quantity being less important than the quality of yep. who I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah. you nailed it. So are you ever around on the brew days? I'm at the brewery up? almost every day. So yeah? uh, we're brewing five days a week now. So it's, yes, I'm, I'm on here on brew days. 
What is the playlist like for typical brew day at Concha Hocken? So our head brewer that I was telling you about earlier, he left in November and he was, it was a hundred percent metal. It was, <laughs> he, he was the only one that had control over the Spotify list and it was always metal all the time. Uh, now it's a little bit more diverse. There's a lot of classic rock. I heard rap yesterday, which I hadn't heard here before. Congratulations. That's big. But it was, it was a stereotypical metal playlist for the most part. Now I think I heard the Pogues recently also. So we, we, it's a little bit more uh, diverse now. You got to have the eclectic music. I mean, you can sprinkle in some metal, but I just never understood like the three Floyds of the world. And just yeah. like, it's so metal. It hurts. Like, yeah. well, we're making beer. Does it have to hurt? I mean, come on. Does the, is like the shredding really make it just that much better? Does that improve hop utilization? I don't know. What the, <laughs> why, like, why so angry? Like, yeah. You know, it's uh, to each their own. Yeah. Well, have yeah. you ever brewed? That's why they're angry because brewing, well, it, it, the uh, the perspective of the consumer is that it's like the most romantic job that you get to, you are the artist. No, it's like 90% cleaning and it's really hot in the summer and it's really cold in the winter and you're wet and sore. And uh, I think metal is just like a, a bit of commiseration coming from the stereo at that point. Yeah, I never considered that perspective. But you're 100% right, because it's heavy janitorial work that's yeah. always stacked against you from whatever the conditions are, weather-like. You know, meteorologically, you are effed either way, no matter what time of year. There's like three weeks on each end of hot and cold that you're like, all right, this is pleasant. But then We're in the middle just, of it right now, actually. Yeah. It's really nice in the brewery right now. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you giving us the time today to uh, bring us in and behind the scenes. It's been quite a joy to have you here i am going to let you know that puddler's row is the beer that i picked uh, for our next show uh, we do one a month that we highlight thanks to our friends at wise markets uh, for putting on this show as well as cheers pa uh, we do a little bit of promotion for one beer a month and when i saw puddlers on the list i was like when can i get them in it's like this is the perfect time because you're coming out of stout season but you're not quite to saison season and you know and then the crispy boys are always around, but you need something to, you know, kind of liven it up. So it's just, this is the perfect time to have a, a great ESB. So I'm great. looking forward to showcasing that one here in the next show. If, uh, if there's anything we can do to provide more information on Puddlers, let me know. Uh, yeah, we can, uh, let's chat offline about that. I would, uh, I'd be happy to take some of your notes on that. But you know what? Leaving them wanting more, I guess is the best way yeah. to put it. Matt Pashinsky, head of sales for Conchahawken Brewing. Check out their website, their social media. They have five amazing locations, potentially six. And uh, if you ever see any of their reps around town, know that they actually want to talk to you and care to get to know you. So it's refreshing in terms of that. I'm sure you can catch them at a wise market uh, and many other locations around town. So be looking out for that. I appreciate your time today, Matt. Thank you so much and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. And we'll see all of you back here next show.